This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Hey, it's the Scuttlebutt. Hey, Scuttlebutt Nation, that's right. You've stumbled on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Honest conversation with open hearts. A place for discussions, breakdowns, and deep dives. This is your safe space when it comes to nerd opinions. Because just like assholes, we all got a <laughs> Strap in, grab your blaster, and some sunscreen. Because it's always sunny on Scarif. Oh boy, it's the Scuttlebutt. And that's the Scuttlebutt. That's the Scuttlebutt. Okay, friends, welcome to another edition of the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast, episode 178. That's right, and before we get into it, I want to let you know that this one is a little on the long side. I got together with Matt from Yubcast, and if you're not familiar with them, they are a podcast that talks about all the wonderful cartoons and animation that Star Wars has to offer. So if you're not familiar with them, go ahead and find them wherever you get your other favorite podcasts and download a show and check them out. Star Wars Visions. We had two seasons over the years, and I really enjoyed the different takes, the different stories and styles of these two seasons. But I think I connected with season two a little more than season one. So if you're not familiar with Visions, it's uh, basically a Japanese anime style uh, storytelling Uh, Different studios got together to tell these stories in the Star Wars universe. Story is pivotal here, and uh, we're definitely going to explore it. I think it's one of those things where the medium of anime as a genre cannot be overstated. It's uh, it's it's something interesting, and I know it's uh, it's a genre that uh, not a lot of people it's not a lot of people's cup of tea, but it's very interesting nonetheless. As I was doing a little research on the uh, the genre of anime, I was uh, discovering that uh, after World War II, a state-sponsored animated film was premiered, but it wasn't very popular until the manga version came out. I think those stories were serving as a distraction to the harsh realities of post-World War II in Japan. It tells you a little bit about how escapism is so important in our society. And what does that say about mankind, regardless of culture, that it cultivates stories of hope when sometimes we feel hopeless? I think it's something to ponder for sure. I said a while back that in general, animation and comics are usually thought of as a kid's genre and that animation has uh, nothing real to say. I know a lot of people may think that, uh, but uh, what would you say to a room full of people that might believe that? Being fans of Star Wars, both live action and animation, I think because of our fandom, I think we uh, we definitely have different feelings about that. All right, so getting into the episode, you know, Visions was an opportunity to let animation studios around the globe create and express their own visions, see what I did there, in the style of Star Wars, while infusing their own stories and cultural significance through the method of their stories, or stylistically through the art, and there's a lot of it here to talk about. And without further ado, I will present our discussion here with Matt from Yubcast on Star Wars Visions Season 2. Some of our favorites, some of our not-so-favorites, but we really dive deep into what our thoughts are. Check it out. Every 
everyone has an inner light. Follow the light. I always knew you were meant for bigger things. <laughs> what if you just keep going? No need to fear. There are others like you here. I saw it myself. She has special powers. Can you get your porta potty off the starting line? She's a total. Okay, folks, here we are on the latest Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. So I mentioned that, uh, you know, Brad and I, we uh, never got together to uh, talk about Star Wars Visions, thinking about uh, doing a a Star Wars Visions show with somebody. And uh, I put the call out and uh, we got uh, we got a friend <laughs> to come by and uh, try us out for the first time Matt from Yubcast how you doing Matt I'm doing great how are you fantastic fantastic first of all thank you very much for uh, answering the call to action the uh, the hero's journey as they say here in a galaxy far far away um, I hope you have fun but I um, I had noticed that I uh, I posted the fact that we were gonna record tonight and um, I know um, you and I were kind of uh, you know talking back and forth but um, you guys have not done a visions uh, show either is that correct um, we did we did one episode for every Visions Volume One, right? Episode, but we have not gotten around to Visions Volume Two. Excellent. So this will uh, this will get you warmed up if you guys decide to do a uh, Visions Volume Two. But um, I noticed that uh, you did post. You said that uh, that you uh, really uh, enjoyed uh, Visions for the most part. Yeah, we can get into it, but I think I think as far as what star wars actually is sort of supposed to be i think visions is probably the closest thing to um sort of the avant-garde border pushing um art form that star wars is originally was oh very nice all right cool cool um yeah we'll definitely get into that um i was listening to your discussion on uh season one thinking that uh it was season two so i'm like sitting there listening i'm like oh okay okay and then you guys mentioned uh a couple of um of episodes uh and scenarios uh which i'm like wait a minute are they talking about season one yes they were and i looked at the date and i'm like yeah this is uh this is season one so um uh we're gonna be talking about season two which uh I don't know. It's uh, I feel like uh, the two seasons are are a little different, um, and uh, I'm not sure why. I, I think uh, I haven't I haven't gone back to watch season one um, since it uh, first uh, you know since it first aired, um, but I have gone back to watch Vision season two a couple of different times, and obviously with uh, multiple episodes, there are some that I enjoy more than than others. Um, but, uh, I think that depends on the, um, I guess the age bracket that they're designed, uh, to attract. Um, but, um, give me the, uh, give me your take on the first season, um, first, before we kind of jump into season two, what, uh, what was that like for you guys? Yeah. So the first season of visions were, um, I think eight, different studios i think one studio produced two episodes i didn't go back and look at my notes for visions so just just so your audience is aware our podcast yubcast is a 
a Star Wars animation podcast, we pretty much only talk about animation. We still cover, we have supplemental episodes where we talk about like if a new movie comes out or Ahsoka or something like that. But pretty much every one of our episodes focuses on a cartoon, like an episode of Clone Wars or an episode of Tales of the Jedi or Visions or something. So we sort of systematically are working our way through that. So we, we reviewed Visions Volume 1 when it came out maybe like a month or two after it came out because they dumped them all at once. So I'm sort of going back from memory, but I think eight studios, all Japanese, produced nine different shorts. Um, And I think at the time, Visions was a huge experiment, right? And so they wanted to sort of pay homage to sort of the Kurosawa origins of Lucasfilm, of George Lucas's inspiration um, that brought him to Star Wars and and that sort of structure of story. But they also were focused on the Japanese animation styles um, that people are probably pretty familiar with from from anything from Ultron to Pokemon to to, um, like the feature length movies like a like a princess Minoka or something like that. So the, so those were all, they were all different, but they all sort of shared like a cultural, I don't know, cultural visual language in a way mm-hmm. that were more familiar. And, and season two or volume two is all over the map, right? They, the, there's no shared, imagery or shared cultural visual vocabulary from episode to episode. And so it seemed like I often, I often refer to this era of star Wars, especially these products as star Wars becoming a cultural art project where if, I don't know if you read the novels, like a certain point of view where they get 40 authors to write 40 short stories and the, the voice of those stories is so different from story to story the tone and the voice and the diction and everything is different, but these are, are just like that. They're just star Wars. What ifs they're hypothetical star Wars and they're written in the context of that, that studio or that writer or that director's cultural point of view. And in season one, we got eight Japanese studios. And in season two, we have studios from South America and Ireland and Spain and France and England, you know, like they're all different. They all have, they're all drawing on different cultural experiences and reinterpreting the tools of Star Wars through that cultural lens. And I don't know, I just love it. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it seems you mentioned that the first season was a, a little bit of a cultural experiment. Um, I think the second season really takes that to a, a whole new level. Um, there are nine studios and nine shorts. Um, have you seen any of the supplemental stuff, uh, on Disney plus, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's a few different kind of behind the scenes, um, little videos, uh, 14 minute videos on each of the, uh, each of the studios that, uh, contributed to season two. Did you see that? So I watched some of them. Yeah. I didn't watch all of them, but I did go. I did go out of my way and watch some other pieces. I was writing some articles about Visions Volume Two um, back when it was coming out, and I, I went and researched each studio and where there was um, 
videos available or pre- previous shorts available, I uh, I went and watched those as research. I did watch. I don't. I don't always keep up with the supplemental materials as well as I should. Um, so I'm producing my own show, and I've got a, two full time jobs, sort of thing, you know. And sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've seen probably half or two thirds of the of the follow-ups um that's the type of thing i would do when we produce our episodes for to cover these i'll make sure that we watch them all and and do a deep dive but i have nice trivia on a lot of these the reality is is animation you can get away with so much that you can't do in live action and if anything if we look at like the marvel universe or the star wars universe the live action is becoming more and more animated Sure. Right. Everything is layered over with like computer animation and and computer effects. Like, at what point is it an animated thing, and what point isn't an animated thing? There, it's it's the lines are getting really blurred. But when we look at we look at like an animation, like some of these episodes, or I assume we're going to talk about the individual episodes, but but some of them are styled like claymation or stop motion animation, or like the first one, Sith. I've I've never seen anything drawn like that, um, and they use they use the painting as a storytelling technique, and it connected to her force power and her relationship to her master. It's it's powerful metaphors, right? And it just works on a level that it wouldn't work in a live action unless you were overlaying the whole thing with the animation. And so I I don't. I'm the furthest thing from the person that says, don't read the comic book. That's mm-hmm. for kids. Sure. I'm like, you can't, my comic book shelf, you can see my background, right? And I'm <laughs> clearly like an adult child. But uh, my comic books are um, in a pile behind me someplace back there. And so I think you can probably see them if I if I move my thing. That sure. pile of white boxes there is a, or comic book boxes beneath that Clone Wars poster so i think people need to be less judgmental about the format and just sort of get down to um how the benefits and limitations of every format i love live action movies and shows but you can't have 400 different alien species in a tv show that's true right you can do that in a cartoon yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, the medium of animation really um, lends itself to such versatility in color, style, emotion, and story. I think you can pull out all the stops depending on how creative uh, your 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 writer is, your director, your storyteller. And I think, um, I think there's nothing like animation. Um, you mentioned Sith. And I think uh, if we want to get into the specific episodes, for me, Sith was probably my favorite one. Because like you said, I've never seen anything like that um, in, in the style of, of, of what we saw in that, uh, in, in that first episode. And side note, I think um, I was scrolling through Twitter earlier today. And I guess... Uh, the episode, what is it? Uh, Screechers Reach has uh, been um, nominated and uh, won an Emmy for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Animation. So congratulations to that. And guys, yeah, I mean, if, well if you guys, yeah, well-deserved. If, uh, if you have not, you know, in, uh, gone into Disney Plus and watched any of the uh, Star Wars Visions, um, I really urge you to 
because uh, like we we're saying, I think, um, you know, they take some great risks, but I think the payoffs are, are uh, absolutely worth it. Did I pass? You passed. That's yours now. Come, child. <gasps> I've heard people asking for, you know, people when they're talking about hypothetical Star Wars they want produced, people will say, like, what about a Star Wars what if? You know, like Marvel has that what if series. This sure. is basically that. Yeah. Except it's it's dealing with characters that we don't know for the most part. So this is hypothetical Star Wars. It's very, very ambitious. And season two is, or volume two is way more ambitious than volume one, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel um, I feel the same way. I think, uh, and then I don't know. For some reason, I really connected with season two a lot more than than season one. Um, my, again, I, I probably have to go back to season one and just to kind of uh, reabsorb uh, some of the themes in that. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I mean, season two was uh, off the chain, as the kids are saying these days, right? <laughs> you say so. <laughs> But um, yeah, let's uh, let's get into some individual episodes or, uh, of the series. Um, I mentioned Sith uh, was one of my favorites. I think uh, the art style was uh, pretty unique. We've already discussed that. But what um, what is it about Sith that uh, that really caught your attention? I know you you mentioned uh, the art style, but uh, what else? I see you made your own. We don't. We haven't had a lot of stories like the Sith or like Sith in Star Wars, where you're talking about sort of like a, a Sith master hunting down their previous apprentice and them getting rejected. It's it's a very good introduction to season two because one, the visual, like the use of just watercolor and paint in the whole thing from a metaphor about her power and her connection to her old master um, and how it connects to her relationship to the light side and the dark side of the force. is just so poignant, I guess. It's just so good and so mm-hmm. on point. But even like the design of her droid, which is like, like a BB-8 style droid with like crab legs, right. I guess. So he rolls around and then crawls around on crab legs. I love when they play with make a reasonable leap in technology there. Sure. And, but then like visually and like talk about like the cultural aspects of a cartoon produced by a Spanish um, studio, Spanish meaning in Spain, mm-hmm. right? They modeled, they modeled the Sith Lord after El Cid like his weapon is modeled after El Cid's weapon. It's a, he's an 11th century um, military leader from Spain. And it just shows like they did this in Visions Volume 1 where they had weapons and artifacts and references to Japanese history. And when I watched this one, I was like, oh, yeah, well, doors wide open, right? Sure. They can pull in any reference they want from any cultural piece um that they're touching here and and yeah of course like if you're if you were interpreting the story of star wars through your own cultural lens you're going to add things like this i just love i love that detail 
Um, also, anything about a Sith and their apprentice, I'm I'm already sort of biased toward because I just love the idea that people can of the whole light versus dark fight and how how mechanically those sides work. So I think we learned a lot about, well, at least in this version of the universe, learned a lot about her relationship with her master and and how she rejects she rejects him in the end in a very violent way. Sure. Yeah. Um, you talked about the droid design and I think, uh, one of the things, um, that I really enjoyed about this episode was, was that, um, the, the vehicle that she rides on, um, in that, uh, vast wasteland. Um, yeah, it, it really, I mean, you know, you've seen stuff like that in history. You've seen stuff like that kind of, uh, I think, uh, didn't Darth Maul have something kind of similar in the concept art? Um, they changed it. Grievous had something very similar. Right. Yeah, that's what I meant. There's something, too, about uh, the the look and feel of the atmosphere in, in this episode. It really pulls you in. And um, like you said earlier, I think I, I really like the fact that they – use this one as their, um, as their first episode, because, um, it really draws you in, um, with, with everything, you know, like I said, the, the emotion, the music, the color, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we started with, uh, not as much color, obviously because of his, uh, because of the character's, uh, growth and, and her transformation later on in the episode. Um, but, uh, it, it really was a, a fantastic, um, you know, showpiece for not only the studio, but, uh, for what Star Wars can, um, can become, I guess. It's also a good juxt- juxtaposition to volume one where the first sort of the, the pilot or first episode of one was Ronin, which was intentionally black and white, mm-hmm. intentionally devoid of color. And this one has color as a theme and like as a character almost, right? It, like the, the story doesn't happen without her relationship to color. And I just like the idea that, that if you line them up, there's almost a logic to the order across all 18. Mm, yeah. And like I said, I, I'm going to have to go back and um, rewatch uh, season one um, and refamiliarize myself with it. Um, Sorry, but, I, do, I, do, I did make a mistake. It's called The Duel. Ronin was the name oh, of the right. character and the novel right. that, that accompanied it, but it was called The Duel. But it was the black and white one. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't tweet me, please. <laughs> Reacher's Reach. One thing I noticed about this particular episode um, after, you know, watching it was how incredibly, I want to say it was, it was, it was very scary. It was very frightful. It was very, the, uh, the themes were strong, um, and uh, you know, if if you uh, if if you have a uh, child of any age watching with you, um, I'm sure you know that child would have uh, you know 
jumped and gasped at, at a few uh, moments there at the end. But uh, pretty damn powerful story on this one, no? Yeah, Cartoon Saloon did an amazing, amazing job on this Irish um, studio this time. And so once again, um, the Sith Mother modeled after a banshee and the the rolling landscapes and hills modeled after the Irish countryside. Um, just beautiful shot. But yeah, the, the whole like journey into the cave, right, to face your fears sort of thing, maybe a Sith witch in the the end, you know, it's sort of something that reoccurs in star Wars. Right. So Mm -hmm. you're like, she goes into the cave and Luke goes into the cave and Ray goes into the cave. Right. And like, this is, this is that story. It's, it's really well done. And what's waiting for her at the end is her opportunity to betray everybody. (laughs) Right. And move on. Um, with the Sith Mother, and that's what happens. I, I just love it end to end, and my, my kids did have sort of a couple jump scares when we were watching it together. Did I pass? You passed. That's yours now. Come, child. <gasps> Are my friends too? No. This was always for you, my young apprentice. Only you. Dad? this she promised me another life a way out of here i had to try make her choice this definitely was one of those episodes where um it it leaves you really um really thinking um it's uh, it's and, and again, you know, no wonder it won the Emmy. You said uh, well deserved, obviously. Um, yeah, man. If if you have not seen this episode, just you cut to the chase, man, and, and head over there. But um, you had mentioned uh, when we first started, um, you had said that uh, these stories really show you what Star Wars. Um, what did you say? What Star Wars can be, or what Star Wars really has strived for um in all its incarnations i think the core uh of uh not only you know we hear this term all the time that the hero's journey or the you know the call to action that uh, that we all have inside i think a lot of these characters really share that um you want to touch a little bit on that yeah i was talking i think what i what you're referring to is when i referred to the avant-garde style of, mm. of sort of george lucas right so he I think at, at his heart, George Lucas has always been sort of an experimental filmmaker, right? Star Wars was successful because of all the VFX he put into it and starting like ILM and everything. And then the prequels were revolutionary because of how much computer animation he layered into it, right? And the post-Jurassic Park thing. Um, and I think this is this is more visual playing more with the visual language of star Wars is always good. In my opinion, it, the, it, the stories don't always land with me. Like I don't love every episode of visions. I, if you go back to listen to our episodes, you want to talk, you want to hear what I sound like when I hate star Wars, listen to my <laughs> review of the twins. <laughs> um, but I, I take a attitude that you're anyone's allowed to like anything, but I definitely, there's definitely things I don't like. Right. And I'm not saying they shouldn't exist. I'm just saying I don't like them. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think playing visually with Star Wars is is what Star Wars is for. Right. You you want to push the boundary of what is and isn't Star Wars. 
right? And and keep people off guard. And that's what Lucas was always doing. He was always like one of the, one of the things people hated about the prequels is that it was green screened, right? But no one had no one had done that amount of like visual sure. computer animation up until that point. So mm-hmm. that, that was mostly what I was saying is like these were visually stunning. And pushing that boundary and things, and thematically they're they're consistent. Like, like Screechers reaches is, is very consistent with Star Wars. Like I said, she goes into the cave to face her fears, and her reward at the end is going with the Sith Queen. Right? It's not a story that George would ever tell us, but it's a story that Cartoon Saloon would. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about uh, each episode uh, having a distinctive uh, look and feel. Um, I really enjoyed when I first watched the series, I really enjoyed having each one be, you know, very different than the previous one. And, uh, you know, obviously it made me it made me uh, excited to start on the next one. Um, you know, there's uh, there, there's traditional animation. There's like you said, there's claymation. Um, there is uh, some, I mean, really some fantastic looks between all the studios that uh, that put these together. Um, you know, I do have a favorite out of all of them, and we'll get to it. Um, but um, what else about Screechers Reach that uh, that really caught your attention? So Screechers Reach, especially when they're in the cave, they they played a lot with lighting more than well, definitely more than um, season or volume one did, and so it was a lot of I don't like you said it was scary. It, it was almost like horror yes. angles at times, you know, right. horror film lighting at times, and I just love that. And, I, and yeah, I just it started. Screechers Reach is an interesting one in that the first couple of minutes when they're in the factory, when all the like the kids are in the factory working, it it's almost a different style of animation than when it finishes. And it's like the animation like slowly changes throughout the episode. And it's only like a 12 minute episode or 15 minute episode, but it slowly changes until the, at the end, it's almost a different, it, it looks different um, than that opening shot of them all working in the factory together. It looks less, it's a very flat two-dimensional style of animation, but by the end, there's many, many layers happening all at once when the first shot is basically one two-dimensional image and everyone's on the same plane and everything. So as they progress through the story, they get separated, um, physically separated in the planes of the animation and it's looking more and more three-dimensional at the end. I I just love that effect or that way to tell a story. Yeah. You know, a lot of people throw out the word cinema and cinematic. And I think, um, you know, these episodes, this one in particular, obviously, um, now that we can safely say award winning, um, really uses the language of cinema to tell its story in, in such a, a great and unique way. Um, the, you mentioned, you know, playing with shadows and light, I think, um, you know, uh, a great cinematographer would be able to to do the same thing in live action. You've got uh, the the play. Uh, you know, obviously, he's directing you in in um, telling your eye where to go, or telling you, you know, telling you where where to focus on, where to pay attention to. So it uh, it's definitely something that uh, that I love to see in projects. Um, and there's a lot of it uh, in uh, this episode. 
in particular, but um, absolutely throughout the whole series. So you want to jump into the third um, episode, In the Stars. This is an interesting one, right? Both visually and from like a story point of view. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you want to start this one? Sure. Um, so this one is uh, – and again, I mean – I. These are not, um, for the most part, these are not uh, super happy stories. Um, this one in particular, I mean, you've got two sisters who uh, are the last of their kind on this uh, planet uh, searching for a way to survive. Uh, there are imperial forces that basically have drained uh, their planet's resources. Uh, we get a hint of the fact that uh, the planet before imperial uh, occupation, it was a lush, you know, green, beautiful uh, planet with uh, light and life. And uh, now it's uh, vastly different. Um the uh, there's uh, two characters, the two sisters. One of them is older. Uh, the other one is a younger, um, younger character. Uh, the older one obviously protects the younger one, but the younger one's got this uh, little bit of a fire in her. Um, but um, I don't know if you wanted to continue on that and just uh, kind of go through uh, the rest of it there. Yeah. So what's more Star Wars than two orphans trying to make it in a galaxy? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, this is this is an incredibly dark plot. Yes. These two are basically survivors of a genocide and they're on a planet that's being exploited environmentally and from a resource point of view and they're basically starving to death. Um and they have to raid the imperial base to survive. And the girl, the younger daughter or the younger sister has delusions of her force abilities and these incomplete and idealized memories of her missing family, especially her mother. Um, but it's, it's at its heart, like a really solid star Wars story about like family and protecting what you can protect and, and believing in something bigger than yourself and standing up to oppression and destruction and, persevering right and it's this is a it's an incredibly hard episode to watch honestly it's, it's just so heartbreaking start to finish this planet resources belong to the empire throw her and again you know the uh, the color tones on this one i mean it's 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 dark it's got muted uh, there is no and it's done on purpose, obviously, because later on we, um, the, you know, as with any good Star Wars film, there, there, you can see that there is hope at the, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, you know, for the most part, the story is uh, is dark and gray and bleak, um, and obviously by design, um, as we get to know these two characters and uh, what their 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 mission is. I mean, you know, it starts out by one thing and then you know ends up, uh, you know, the older sisters you know, wants to save, um, the younger sister, because like I said, the younger sister's got a little fire in her and, um, yeah, it's, it's all because of, uh, her, uh, faded memories of, of mother. 
um, and we get uh, we get a little bit of a hint as to uh, you know who Mom was, um, and then you know obviously by uh, by default who these two characters are um, throughout the uh, throughout this episode. It's a um, it's a wonderfully produced um, story. And uh, I, I love the uh, the mechanics of the animated uh, characters and, and the scenarios and stuff like that. I think um, I, I haven't seen the behind the scenes of this one because I really uh, I'm interested in um, in finding out, uh, you know, because I know a lot of times when these animations uh, are, are produced, uh, there's kind of a hybrid of of traditional stop motion, a little bit of uh, 3D, um, you know material or texturing that goes on um but um you know obviously the technical aspect uh is not a uh, detractor to uh you know especially if you're paying attention to the story um it's, it's really riveting yeah so the technical piece for this one is it looks like stop motion animation but it's not mm-hmm. uh, they intentionally made it look like stop motion animation they made models they scanned the models and then they had them animated in a way that makes them look like they're stop motion. But the, the heart of this story, once again, is interpreting something culturally through the lens of Star Wars and the atrocities that they go through, right? So so the Imperial officers um, are based on the Julius Popper uh, atrocities in Argentina, Right, so the the Selkinum, uh, genocide that happened there with the native people in Argentina. It is this is a direct reference. It is a direct reference. The point where the logos on their hats are affiliated with Popper, mm. um, and so this is one of the reasons why it's so hard to watch. It's because it's it's like the Omega Man sort of stuff. It's like the last people on Earth sort of point of view of the whole thing. Um, it does have a good ending to it. I don't want people to be afraid to watch it. Sure. It's like if you were sensitive to themes of genocide or themes of abusive native peoples or or, or Argentinian, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, you might want to proceed with caution with yeah. this one. But but the but yeah, it's like you said, the the use of light in this one, everything is smog covered and dark and dirty literally they they drew it that way and then there's even the the thing where they the sisters religion tells them that the stars are their ancestors looking down on them and they can't see the night sky because there's too much pollution and so they feel cut off from their heritage and culture until they can reverse that right and so it's it's very difficult i don't know how else to put it sorry i keep saying yeah no absolutely but uh you know that's the strength of the narrative here um you know one one thing uh side note one thing that i really enjoy um really about star wars in general is the attention to detail when it comes to uh design um you know we obviously we know all the behind the scenes stories of uh of uh, Ralph McQuarrie and, and, and the paintings that uh, helped uh, sell Star Wars. You've got, uh, you know, ILM and Doug Chang doing the same thing for the, uh, the, the prequels. 
Um, but, uh, you know, these studios, uh, are no stranger to that. I think, uh, this, uh, this episode in particular really has some great, uh, detail when it comes to the character design, the characters, costumes, um, and even the look and feel of something as familiar as, uh, stormtroopers or Imperial troops, um, that really, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, really hit home, um, especially, you know, you can see my background. I've got Darth Vader and a couple of stormtroopers back there. It's it's something that I, um, I'm i really into is just uh, anything having to do with uh, stormtroopers or Vader or the dark side. Uh, I'm all in, but um, absolutely. This is the one that had like the the um, winter troopers in it, right? From Empire, yes. right? right? Yeah. Yeah, because I think they're trying to... Telegraph that it was cold there. Mm-hmm. That was another threat to the characters because they were underdressed. Yeah. Any final thoughts on In the Stars? No, I think we need a. I think we need a um, palate cleanser after that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, think this, I think this order is intentional. By the way. <laughs> yeah. I am your mother. Not so bad for a bit of old drunk, hey, Mum? Mum? Said what? And uh, this actually, this title reminds me of a book that I used to read my uh, son when he was little. Um, it's, uh, I think it was called I Am Your Mother or Am I Your Mother? Oh, no, Are You My Mother? That's, are You My Mother, the bunny one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we uh, we come into this episode and uh, it's vastly different than the previous episode as far as tone and color. Um, I am your mother is uh, like you said, it's a palate cleanser. Um, the tone is uh, completely different. Uh, it's not as uh, dark, both, uh, I guess, in, in, in color and story. Um and it's, uh, you know, I hate to use this term because you use it a lot, but it's uh, it's kind of like a, a coming of age story. It's um, it's the kind of story that you get to tell about a teenager who's figuring out how to become an adult and at the same time realizing that maybe their parents don't have it all figured out either right and sort sort of that harsh realization that everyone comes to in between like 10 and 14 where it's like it's like i'm i can't be an adult and these people have no idea what they're doing (laughs) you know (laughs) right but this is the wallace and gromit episode if people haven't seen it the Makers of the Claymation series, Wallace and Gromit, mm-hmm. um, produced this episode, and it's a comedy, to put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, whoever is uh, not familiar with uh, that studio and that style. I mean, once you see it, uh, there's a certain, you know, there's a certain character design that is uh, very popular. Um, with that show, with that uh, series of, uh, you know, kids uh, entertainment. Um, 
But um, yeah, it's it's definitely a palate cleanser and um, a delightful uh, a delightful little story. And again, you know, the designs of these characters uh, is just a, a wonderful thing to watch um, on screen as uh, as the episode plays out. Yeah, this this episode probably more than the others so far um, is is the most visually jarring out of because it is it looks like a little kid thing right it just looks sure. like claymation yeah. like kids playing with play-doh sort of thing it's it's well produced and well made but it is not it it's very obviously like if you want to be disrespectful about the term a cartoon right it's very much like a, a cartoon pointed at little kids um but they also go to great lengths to pepper familiar star wars things in every single scene this is like an easter egg trivia hunters like dream where there's like blurg like blurgs on the shelves and porgs yeah. on the market and yeah. and just tons and tons of, like there's a skyhopper like she's playing with the skyhopper at one point the same way luke is in uh in the episode so i i think they they really it's it's this is very much like a love letter to fans but like you said it's a coming of age story about about a young girl who is maybe a little embarrassed by her mother yeah. because she doesn't want people to think that she's her mother but then realizes that maybe that's not such a bad thing sure yeah absolutely everybody's and, seen that story a thousand times right i'm sure yeah. very, very special family matters <laughs> where that happens and a very special family ties where that happens sure very special eight is enough yeah um now you're showing your age there <laughs> Join your age because you got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, definitely, this is the uh, probably the only episode out of, out of this bunch that is um, well, maybe the last one too. And we'll get to it. But uh, there's the the rest of the stories are pretty. Uh, I want to say uh, kind of dark and powerful. Uh, I don't want to use the word bleak um, either because uh, again, I don't want to discourage people from. Uh, you know, catching uh, catching the rest of this uh, the series here, but um, it's definitely uh, kitty friendly. I think the the last one is also a little bit kitty friendly. We'll we'll get to it, but the rest of them really, um, as we've uh, already discussed, are uh, are are pretty dark and um, uh, powerful stories. There, yeah, it's lighthearted, it's fun, and it's got a good resolution. There's not not a whole lot to talk about it from like a thematic point of view. Love your parents. They tried hard. <laughs> all right, folks, I wanted to take a little break and say thank you to all the patrons here at the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Do you all remind me to make sure that we spit out some good product here from topics to technical? We want to make sure that you are proud of us enough to attach your name to this show. First of all, our executor tier, Scott and Kim of the Use and Abuse podcast, a proud member of the Red 5 family. Make sure to check them out. Visit them in the chat when they go live for fun and shenanigans. And speaking of shenanigans, another wonderful supporter, Nicholas Schaefer, Mr. Backyard Tardis himself. Hey, he's got a channel, Adventures in Locksmithing. And if you think rekeying is all he does, well, you should watch a few of his videos and prepare yourself for the crazies. All right, and moving on to our garrison tier. Big thanks to the Frank, our resident back to the future expert. 
Log in and say hello. What's up, Frank? Melanie Marquita, big high five to you, my friend. One of my favorite collaborators. We got comics and cosmetics. Danny, her YouTube channel's got the latest nerd news and some awesome tips on comics and cosmetics. Go give her a sub. All right, big shout outs to Alex, the salty nerd himself. Nicole, peace, love, and all fandoms. And someone who brings joy to my timeline, Belinda. So glad you're on this list. I also want to give a special shout out to Vader, Rapina, and Rennie. And of course, Ollie and family. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you, patrons and friends of the podcast. If you're interested in helping to keep the lights on here, get some exclusive Scarab swag, stickers, and my periodic row rant episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. This is Sentry Mode. Excellent, my friends. You heard that jingle. You know what time it is. It's time for Century Mode. And we usually get a friend of the podcast, a friend of the Red 5 Network, and we join them in some fun Q&A. And tonight we've got none other than the infamous, or is it the famous or the infamous? I'm not sure. You pick Cam Ray from Semi Productions. Wait, wait a minute. I'm a little confused. When you first did that, uh, a while ago, I thought you uh, produced uh, semi trucks. Is that not the case? Um, it's my final end game goal, but right now <laughs> I don't have the funds because I'm not monetized because I don't have enough followers or view times. And oh, that's gonna change. That'll change. Come on, everybody, follow Cam Ray for a little chuckle. And it's and unfamous, also. It's, oh, there you go. Yes, that's, I, I had I had the You're close. I had I used the wrong vowel. It's a, a prefix, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, my uh, my guest on this uh, edition of Century Mode, Cam Ray, you guys all know him on the Twitterverse. And uh, are you ready for some questions? Uh, yes, I'm ready, Ro. Excellent. Question number one. Now, uh, you know, usually what I tell uh, my guests is uh, I usually throw them uh, a couple of softballs first, uh, you know, a little underhanded uh, softball toss just to kind of get people warmed up. Let's just make but, all of the questions softballs today. That excellent. All right. Yeah. Because, again, I'm not sure of everybody's, um, uh, you know, uh, skill level when it comes to Star Wars trivia or nerd trivia in general. But uh, here we go. Question number one. What is the complete name of the special effects company that George Lucas started to create some of cinema's most iconic effects, starting with Star Wars? Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I was just doing a, a Sunday school <laughs> um, quiz earlier. Um, Industrial Light and Magic. That is correct. For the win, you are one and one. Yes. I think that's... Were you sizzling some steak there? I was some, um, some some quick cuts. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, Kip came to my mind um, from Napoleon Dynamite. Excellent. So, All right, that you're doing you're doing pretty good. Yes, it's only one question, but here we go. Question number two: What famous Bond actor was supposedly behind the mask as a First Order stormtrooper in The Force Awakens? Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, Bond, Chemical Bond. You are correct, sir. All right, question number three. 
Um, it seems like these are getting easier and easier for you, but here we go. Question number three. Who sported a purple lightsaber in the Star Wars prequels? Are you looking for the actor or the Jedi? Um, either one will suffice. It was Jedi Master Mace Windu. That is correct. Sam Jackson. Mr. Jackson, if you're nasty. Okay, here we go. Question number <laughs> question number four. Yeah, um, you might uh, you might actually get this one. Let's see. What is the full name of the Kowakian monkey lizard that Jabba the Hutt had hanging around his palace? Salacious B. Crumb. Excellent. And you threw in the initial. I know uh, a, a yeah. lot of people are not familiar with the initial, but uh, I'm glad that you are. That makes you a Star Wars fan. Yes. Excellent. All right. Question number five. And at the end of this question, I do have a bonus question. So stick around, folks. Question number five. In the Ewok movie Caravan of Courage... The caravan went on an adventure on the moon of Endor to rescue Sindel and Mace's parents from what? What was the preacher's name? Pass. Pass? Yeah, Newt, I have not watched that <laughs> since I was a kid. And uh, so I am so sorry. I don't know anything about that movie. So. Oh, it's it was the Gorax. Yeah, sorry. I That's one I have not even... I, I don't know anything about it except the cover, so I'm sorry I've let everyone down. You know there were e there were they were Ewoks in that movie. You know that murder bears, yes, murder bears, exactly. All right, that's fine. But you did pretty uh, pretty well, pretty damn good. I mean, that's uh, eighty percent. That's a B. Yeah, that's passing. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of B, I've got a bonus question. Oh, yes. And uh, I really want you to think about this one because it's uh, it's it's serious. This this might uh, this might bring you up to an A at a hundred percent. Okay. So um, okay. let's see. Put uh, put some TikToks on the sound effects there, and uh, let's uh, let's get to this bonus question with Cam Ray. Bonus question is as follows. No. Please, please pay attention. How many angry YouTubers does it take to fire Kathleen Kennedy? Ooh. Come on, chop, chop to it. I mean, that's an impossible answer because <laughs> there are not that many human beings on planet Earth. <laughs> Nor characters in the Star Wars universe. And not everyone has a YouTube channel or is angry. Right. That is true. Um, she's here to stay, y'all. Like a boss. Well, when she retires, I'm sure all the YouTubers will say, see, I told you. I knew it. Yep. I knew it. I knew it was ending 20 years ago. I told you. That's too funny. Yeah. Excellent. All right, my brother. You, I uh, hope you had a good time on these uh, Sentry Mode questions. I did. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you tell folks where people can find you to say, hello there. 
Well, you can find me watching Caravan of Courage for the next hour and 10 minutes or whatever it is. And after that. Yeah, you better. X Twitter, X, X, whatever that is now. Um, the blue bird thing with an X over it at Cam Ray. You can find me on YouTube at Cam Ray Semi Productions. TikTok, Cam Ray Semi Productions. Cam Ray, Cam Ray Semi Productions. Uh, Facebook, Cam Ray Semi Productions. Instagram at Cam Ray. And. That's about it. Excellent. Yes. Find uh, fan, find Cam Ray wherever Cam Ray is sold and uh, tell him hello there. Uh, thank you, Cam, for uh, participating in this edition of Sentry Mode. And uh, would you do me a favor and close this out? Close this segment out, please. I will. What would you like me to say? What do you what do you think? Um, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Oh, let's see. On oh, this, live long and may the force be with you. <laughs> that was close, guys. Excellent. All right, let's get back to the discussion here on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Oh my gosh, I was. I'm telling you, you got to, you got to throw me a. And that's the Scuttlebutt. <laughs> Sentry mode. Hey, friends, just a quick reminder. If you enjoy our content and don't want to commit to a Patreon tier, you can show your love in other ways. Oh, yeah. Of course, you can take advantage of our merchandise store at TeePublic, where we've got cool designs from all across the Red 5 network. Look for sale announcements and save up to 30 to 35% on all our merchandise. Oh, nice. And there's also a very convenient way to help support the channel. As you know, coffee is our friend. It keeps us going. You can show your appreciation by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash scarif. Buymeacoffee.com slash scarif. Any amount starting at five bucks, a one-time treat for us to help with all the stuff it takes to maintain the quality you deserve. And remember, it's always sunny on Scarif. And that's the Scuttlebutt. And pass the cream, please. All right, episode five of Star Wars Visions, Journey to the Dark Head. And um, if you uh, if you really love uh, like anime, I think this is definitely uh, one of the episodes for you. Um, I think, uh, you know, we we touched on the fact that uh, the first series really was uh, anime heavy Japanese uh, animation. I was listening to your um the the, uh, the the discussion that you guys had um, on uh, the first series, I, I don't know if it was you or your partner that said that uh, somebody was not really uh, anime, anime as as a genre wasn't uh, your thing. Was it you or your your partner? Yeah, it's not it's not my primary um, style of animation that I, I watch a lot of, but I'll I'll watch anything that. Sure. You know, I just don't seek it out. It's not, it's not, you know, there's people who think anime is good in general because they enjoy the art form and then they, they'll watch anything. I watch the things that people tell me is are good stories that are also anime. I don't, 
I don't collect anime or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, did you grow up with any um, any shows that uh, that you liked that just happened to be anime? Ish. Uh, showing my age again, like I watched Voltron as a kid. Mm-hmm. Akira. Akira is fine. Like I, I like that. I, I've watched Cowboy Bebop. Um, I've watched. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time thinking of anime. Honestly, when I watched One Punch Man, because I, I have a friend who's really into it, and he, mm-hmm. I watched it with him. Um, yeah, so I, I like I said, I, I don't seek it out. But if people yeah. want to direct me to watch anime, I'll watch it. I watch an illogical amount of animated stuff because that's the space I'm carving out for myself sure. in fandom and, and things. But, but yeah, I just don't watch a lot of anime um, standalone. Yeah. There's a show that I used to watch called um, Battle of the Planets. And uh, that was uh, that was kind of a regular one for me. It was a staple in uh, in my group. Um, very much like, you know, th- obviously there was a theme, you know, there were giant robots and all that stuff, you know, things like Ultraman and Spectre Man and Voltron, um, all that stuff that uh, that we grew up on. When I was, I grew up in the 80s, right? So I was born in like 1980 and I grew up in the 80s and there was just a genre of like Speed Racer and Nighthawks and things like that, that maybe weren't technically Japanimation, Mm -hmm. but, but were made in those styles. And so I'm very familiar with the style. I just, I just didn't seek it out as an adult. Sure. Yeah. But um, let's uh, jump into uh, Journey to the Dark Head. Understand now. I know why the master sent me here. This one's I I think this was a shorter one, but it was uh it was, you know, equally powerful. You've got uh let's see, reading the description here, an optimistic mechanic and a dil- disillusioned young Jedi join forces on an unlikely and uh, risky mission to turn the tide of galactic warfare. Um, I don't think I remember this one too much. Yeah, so this, so I haven't watched these in a while, and this yeah. one is pro- was probably my least favorite out of all of them, um, mostly because the there was a whole prophecy subplot where where they were having they were watching like the trying to prophesize based on the rainfall patterns on the stones, and oh, that's uh, right. The journey to the dark head. It was like the light and the dark head, and they had the the circle bridge in between mm. the two. I just I should rewatch it um, because it, it's just something that didn't stick in my head as having like an impactful plot. I thought it was at the time. I thought it was fine. This is a South Korean um, studio, uh, and I, I have not watched anything else by them, which is my bad. I should figure out what else they've done um but but i i just i have the least amount to say about this one and it was the one at the time where i i was like okay that that happened <laughs> yeah I, I mean it's not bad sure. it's just it just didn't resonate with me in the same way as say like spy dancer which is the next one we're going to talk about but visually it's fine it's i think it's got some interesting lightsaber battles in it. I like the idea of prophecy, but I think from a literary point of view, prophecy is a very lazy 
um, tool to lean on. Uh, often, it's it's it can it can be a big crutch for writers. Um, so I, I don't like the idea of you should show not tell, but all prophecy is is telling you what to do. <laughs> right here's what's going to happen, and you watch it happen. <laughs> um, that was one of my issues with the with with one of the ones from season one or volume one where one of the characters kept having a prophecy and then it happened, except I liked how they did it visually in that one. But in this one, they, they literally just tell you what's going to happen and then they show you it happening. And it was like, okay, so did you fire your writer? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I'm with you because like I said, I, I don't remember too much of uh, what the story was. And I think uh, how much of, how much of that do you think, contribute to the way a different culture than ours tells a story because I was a little bit like that when I watched uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon the very first time you know right right in the middle they cut to a completely different story and it's it's like a flashback but you forget it's a flashback because it's not a short segment it's like the rest it's almost like another third of the movie is is uh, completely different <laughs> Nothing but a disgrace, Pichan. I shall take you down. Yeah, I have. I, I I do tend to have a the ability to sort of immerse myself in in a thing when it, when I'm doing it, and so mm-hmm. so I don't. If something doesn't resonate for me, I don't think it's I don't think it's always cultural. I I think it's usually just story structure, and there can definitely be differences in how stories are told and things. It was just this one like I I was just waiting for the piece for it to like all come together, sure, like for for it to be surprised or to to show me something different. But I don't. It's this one has a lot of action in it. I'll say that, especially the last half. The first half is a little slow. The last half is all action. And if you like lightsabers and giant statues exploding, this one's going to be... This one's, like this one's for you. Absolutely. All right, cool. Spy Dancer. Um, this again, uh, episode six of uh, Visions. Here, Spy Dancer is a. Uh, this is an interesting one. Why don't you fight? Twenty years ago. The Empire raided our village, led by a man wearing the same emblem as yours, holding the same cane. They destroyed everything, killed everyone. So it's about revenge? Took my son. What's that to do with me? Yeah, so this is the French one. Um, and my wife's a Francophile. I'm, I'm much less of a Francophile. Um, but... But this is about a a cabaret dancer um, during during uh, imperial occupation who's basically helping run a rebellion ring out of her bar, 
and she is insulated from suspicion because she is a public figure in that she's a very good cabaret dancer. Um, and if you know the history of France, this is Vichy France. Mm, yeah. this, this is Nazi-occupied France, and this character is based on Josephine Baker, a cabaret dancer in occupied France who is passing Nazi secrets from officers she was seducing in her club to the Allies about troop movements and um, locations of material. This is this this is who this character is based on. <laughs> like right. straight yeah. um, explicitly, now, I now like, I see it. Yeah, explicitly they say it in an interview that 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 they went to go write this about Josephine Baker. But the cool twist in this one is once again this is, they're Nazis, right? So they're victims. These people are victims of a Holocaust or genocide or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're recovering from this. And the reco- part of the recovery is to exact vengeance on these people. And specifically, her, this character, this cabaret dancer's character's son is kidnapped or when he's a baby. And her, her motivation as a character is to inflict that level of pain onto the empire, the level of pain that you would feel if you were separated from your child. And one day the person that took her child comes into the cabaret and she decides that she's going to cash her check and assassinate this person in front of everybody. And when she goes to do it, it's not the man who took her son. It's her son all grown up. How dare you! The Empire's role is to bring order to the galaxy, and I'm proud to be its armed wing, like my father before. How dare you call this man your father and all his king? Why do you hide your true nature? Enough with your nonsense! The Empire will have your head... Plot twist. A devastating plot twist, and I... This might be... This is top one or top two um, volume two episodes for me. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. Because this is, because her motivation is so believable and her circumstance is so understandable. And when she goes to kill him and realizes who he actually is, her, her like simultaneous regret and elation of finding her child and realizing like who he is, is like, you said you're a parent, right? I'm a parent. Like, like it just broke my heart. Yeah. In a way, in a way that like, I was, I was just like, like, nope, like I could never recover. Yeah, absolutely. And this one really has uh, probably the most, um, I want to say the most traditional, traditional animation look to it. Um, I mean, really, it, it, it looks like it was, uh, uh, you know, hand drawn and hand painted each cell and animated in a traditional way. Um, but it's, uh, you know, again, it's, it's beautiful. The spy dancer, um, the environment, uh, and this is the first time that we see, you know, kind of Imperial troops kind of, you know, hanging out at a, at a cabaret, uh, doing their thing. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, I, lo- I love the setting, right? It's good. It's great universe building. And of course, right? Like rank and file stormtroopers mm. are just dudes, right? They're just, they're just <laughs> right. regular people. What they want is a burger 
right? Show, right? Like they just want a, the pretty dancer to flirt with them, just like everybody else, right? And then they put their boots on her and told to do an atrocity, and they do it, right? But, <laughs> but people are people, right? When it comes down to it, all they all they want is like comfort, and it it shows it shows that right in a very human way, and how, yeah, how. I don't know, like the banality of evil, right? Evil people are boring, right? Because mm. people are boring. Sure. Right. But I just, lo- I love the setting it shows. I just love the whole thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely, um, it's definitely nice to see. And, uh, you know, again, you know, getting back to plot twist, I mean, again, it, it, it really shows you, uh, the, um, the creativity in all these episodes are are, are wonderful. I think, um, you know, again, like I said, I, I, I can't stress it enough. Just the uh, the flexibility of animation as a as a form of, of communication, a form of of uh, cinema. Really, um, I can't uh, I can't overstate that. And uh, these uh, this little group of of, of animated uh, shorts here on on. Visions uh, season two is is a perfect example of of uh, how to be able to tell a story in in so many ways and not just to kind of stick to one thing. I think it works great as kind of an anthology, like you said, a what if um, a, a group of uh, stories that uh, gives everyone the opportunity to uh, you know step outside their comfort zone when it comes to Star Wars and really uh, think about. Uh, what uh, what Star Wars can be from a core value of of, uh, of stories and characters that uh, obviously George Lucas introduced us to, but what what can we expect from outside of that uh, out of that realm? Um, and then you know your um, your uh, comparison to the What If uh, Marvel series is is uh, I think it's apt. Um, I think it's uh, I think it works out. But, you know, again, you know, the, these uh, these are stories and characters that uh, we are not familiar familiar with. And uh, it, it also kind of lends itself to a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a more deeper uh, meaning and understanding to uh, to the stories as uh, as they play out. Any final thoughts on the spy dancer? Like I said, it's probably it's probably one of my favorite stories that they told in this volume, just from a humanist point of view. So, I highly recommend it. I, I agree with your assessment that this looks like acetate paper to me. It looks mm-hmm. like hand painted acetate from an animation point of view. I I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it looks like uh, it looks like it was produced in the '80s, and they just found it, cleaned it up a little bit, and then put it uh, as part of the collection, which uh, which is great. So you had mentioned that the Spy Dancer was one of your favorites. We are coming up to uh, the Bandits of Golak, which is, uh, I think, my favorite. Imagine that. A Jedi in Golak. I want to be able to see if I can really pinpoint exactly why it's my favorite. I think there are a lot of things that are um, working for this uh this particular one to be my favorite i um i enjoy the uh the costumes i enjoy the color i enjoy the atmosphere 
um, the characters of these, uh, this young boy and his uh, force sensitive uh, younger sister. Um, we start to see as we get close to the end of, uh, of this uh, entire series, we start to see almost like a unifying theme uh, uh, you know, lost young, young people, young children, uh, searching for something, um, or, you know, even, you know, something searching for them almost, uh, like in the case of Screechers Reach, but we've got, we've got, uh, these kids that are always, um, searching for something. And I find that interesting because later on, you know, we'll, um, we'll get to the next episode of the pit, but, uh, it's got some kind of uh, similar uh, aspects, but uh, the Bandits of Gallock, yeah, that that is definitely my favorite one, and it's um, it's action oriented. Uh, again, you had mentioned that uh, if you like lightsabers, I mean, this one is definitely uh, kind of a tips uh, lightsaber battle on its end. Uh, there's a couple of really great new uh, things that are done in this episode as far as uh, lightsaber battles, and I think. Um, I think it's really fantastic. Yeah, this is this is the what's it called? Studio eighty eight or something? Yeah, eighty eight pictures. Sorry, eighty eight pictures. Um, the Indian studio. It is visually stunning, right? It is. It, it it's it's like Diwali on display, right? In Star Wars, it's just beautiful. I love the train scenes and like like you said there seems to be a theme emerging but the theme is just star wars right <laughs> what's more what's more star wars than a couple of kids without parents trying to make their way in a galaxy right yeah, yeah. um but yeah i love i love the interplay between the brother and the sister here i love the sith um that's chasing them i love i, I think it was in the trailer for this where like the the woman like exposes the hidden door under the fountain right blowing all the water out with the force, I I love the idea that I mean we saw it in Kenobi. Did you want? I assume you watched Kenobi, yeah, right? Yes. Um. So, uh, we saw it in Kenobi that there's like an underground railroad for Jedi, and it's like we saw a version of that in this too, and how how he had to keep his sister from showing that she had the force. So he could keep her hidden long enough to get her someplace safe. And I just, yeah, like, I, I think Spy Dancer is one of my favorites, but this one is very high on my list. <laughs> it's insanely high on my list because it's, it's very, it's a, it's a very modern style of animation. Mm hmm. It's three-dimensional, it's computer animated, very smooth, quote-unquote realistic style. Um, you, you can tell it's a cartoon, but it's sort of like Polar Express where they're trying to make them look as human as possible, mm -hmm. right? And trying to make the world seem as real as possible. And it's really a one-to-one -one representation of our world. There's no distortion or exaggerations. Um, you know, like their arms are the right length, their body proportions are the right length. They're, they look human, right? Like they just look animated as human, like computer animated humans. But, but the color palette is wild mm -hmm. and the settings are like, like I, I was, I mentioned the train thing. The train scene is so crowded on that train yeah. and there's so many wonderful little star Wars alien Easter eggs in that from the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, the sequel trilogy, they really mix it up in there and really, and it shows it shows 
like how she has to hide who she is in order to to survive until she can find the old woman. Um, and but yeah, the the Jedi or the Jedi versus Sith lightsaber battle. This is the one where she had the cane, right? Yes, she had the cane. And I, I love – it's already a gif, obviously, but the, I love uh, the uh, the reveal where she splits the cane up and you see you know, yep. she has the two lightsabers. I mean it's uh, – you know, Star Wars is uh, like you said, um, you know, orphan children trying to find their, their way. But, uh, you know, you got to throw in a little uh, badass uh, lightsaber play. In uh, in any Star Wars, I think too, and and this definitely has it. You've got um, you've got the Sith character with uh, with that double edged uh, uh, Inquisitor like uh, blade as well, which uh, I'm sure is everyone's favorite, especially when uh, we finally get to see that uh, that lightsaber as a helicopter in in live action. Can't wait for people to react to that. But uh, that's another that's another podcast. Let's do it. Just get it out of the way. <laughs> I, I'm I'm at the point with Star Wars fandom where I'm just be like, I want them to be mad about everything all the time. <laughs> you know what? Throw in some bricks and screws, and we'll get everybody pissed off. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Bandits of, uh, Bandits of Golok is, uh, it, I, I want to say, it's my favorite. You know, there's a certain way, you talked about the animation style, there's a certain um, texture, um, uh, the way they animated this. I think, uh, you know, you, you, you tend to think of animation as, uh, you know, even like 3D stuff, it's very bold and powerful and, and uh, defined lines and shapes and things like that. But uh, the, the overall imagery of uh, bandits really took it to another level for me and I think that's one of the real uh, reasons that I really love the kind of um, uh, I don't know the 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 high stylistic way of 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 each of the frames um, obviously it's it's uh, it's framed in a way uh, I also love the fact that it, it looks misty. I mean, they're they're on this train. You can tell it's uh, you know the environment is dirty. There's dust everywhere. Um, there's almost like a constant film of uh, of of particles just floating everywhere. The the uh, uh, I guess the ultra realism that uh, went into you know creating this environment again, you know going back to making sure that all of this is planned out and deliberate. Um, it really pays off in this episode. Yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. I think it's, I think it's just brilliant. And the fact that uh, you know we uh, we get to to see a little bit uh, of uh, force use uh, in kind of a uh, playful way there when they uh, when they you know get to take their break and and eat some food and stuff like that right before that uh, inquisitor um, character uh, you know uh, shows up. But, um, you know, the action starts, uh, obviously the action starts on the train, but it keeps going. And, uh, again, you know, this is, uh, one of the times that I really noticed the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the theme of this series kind of coming together, um, of, uh, children looking for, uh, for something, um, or even, uh, you know, these Jedi protecting these children. And I'm wondering too, um, you know, we are, 
we just had a, a, an announcement uh, that uh, next year, uh, as far as Star Wars goes, we're getting the Acolyte and uh, Skeleton Crew. Um, and Skeleton Crew, I mean, you know, both of these shows are, are shows that uh, are coming out uh, that we know uh, very little about. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm really excited about both shows. But Skeleton Crew in, in particular, we probably know less about Skeleton Crew than we do about The Acolyte, um, other than, uh, you know, big name actor, uh, you know, joining us for that adventure. But I think, uh, you know, getting back to the whole uh, lost children um, aspect of this series, uh, I just wonder if uh, if we're going to touch on some of these things in, in that show when it uh, when it hits uh, the airwaves. Oh, I hope so. I think I think they're barely. I, we know no, nothing about. Have they even re, re, released any footage from Skeleton Crew? No, just a one picture of uh, Jude Law. Yeah, Jude Law, and, and they they've said it's Amblin like, which is a, Amblin is like the ET studio, right? right where it's mm-hmm. a kid focused, kid foc- kid point of view um, story. I it seems reasonable. I don't know how versed you are in Star Wars animation, but there was the. Huang episodes of Clone Wars where um, Ahsoka plus Huang plus a bunch of younglings are fighting Hondo and the pirates. And if, when they when I heard the synopsis for Skeleton Crew, I immediately thought of that arc mm. of, of, I think it's called The Gathering um, in Clone Wars. But yeah, I would, I would love to see what a bunch of Force-sensitive kids have to do with Jude Law. Yeah. And hopefully... Hopefully we'll get some more um, um, Captain Hook and Smee pirates in that one. Sure, definitely. <laughs> that would be the time to bring Hondo into live action. Yeah, let's do it. I smell profit. All right, this next episode, um, this one was like really uh, heavy. I was going to say it was really deep, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to start the puns uh, this uh, late in the game here on this episode, but uh, (laughs) episode eight, The Pit. Talk about imperial uh, brutality and uh, occupation there. Um, uh, Let's read the description here. A brave young prisoner forced by the Empire to dig the earth to extract kyber crystals plans a risky escape for himself and his people when the Imperials abandon the workers in the mine. Um, Again, uh, strong story, strong visuals, and... um, Wow, you know what, what? What can you say about this one? Um, let's, let's. You want to talk about this one? Yeah. Once again, I think the order is intentional in a way because um, these last two stories are both about mining. Mm-hmm. Um, mining is sort of the foil of the characters. Um, this one is uh, from a visual. So this is a Japanese studio, but from a visual point of view, it is. I would say closer to an 80s cartoon than almost anything it's it's very it's very simple not simple in a bad way but simple in sort of a elegant way uh 2d animation you know and and what what you might think of from like a nighthawks or something back in the day a little bit more complicated than hanna barbera cartoon but not much mm-hmm. right maybe an order of magnitude more than that um, but it, it's not getting, it's like a Muppet Babies, right? Level of animation. Sure. Good, serviceable, understandable. 
but this is the premise is horror movie premise, right? You have slaves living in a pit, right? And resources and stuff are thrown down into the pit, right? Like it puts the lotion on the skin sort of stuff, you know? Right, yeah. And the idea that they have to escape and I don't know, physical, physical struggle is hard to communicate in, in certain media. It's pretty hard to communicate in like a written media. And so it's, it's better to see it and watching these people struggle up the walls of this pit to get out. Yes. You feel their pain and it's, it's just really empathetic. It just invokes a, a real empathy in me watching these people like, like, I don't know, like I'm one of those people like when you see someone like grab onto something that makes my fingernails hurt, you know? <laughs> right. And watching them crawl, like crawl fist over fist out of this pit to, to try to escape escape but also yeah. like tale of two cities thing right because there's a city of city of light just right there right sure. it's literally yeah. called the crystal city um uh right next door and they're blissfully unaware because of their social status that that their economy and their livelihood is propped up by slave labor mm-hmm. right and it's a very it's it's a hard hard story with a with a good ending meaning that you can see a resolution to it but they don't show you the resolution to it yeah so they pull up short of actually saying everything is fine but they 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 show you how things may be fine right which is also a tone a tonal choice i'll put it that way yeah of course and uh you know we've got the uh the character of the brother who uh goes over to the city and uh tries to uh literally um you know scream at the top of his lungs that uh that uh, his people need uh help and and rescue and assistance um and I can't remember it uh, for a while. Uh, he goes unheard until somebody uh, takes pity on him and and really listens to what he has to say. And unbeknownst to uh, to to them, uh, the residents of the city, like you said, they had no idea that their luxury, their comfort, was uh, propped up by uh, by these people working in the mines. Um, and uh, very powerful stuff. Uh, I think. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that uh, the studio was uh, was a Japanese studio. Um, very, uh, very interesting, and obviously, it, uh, it it's all it's it's not all too subtle, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's the only Japanese studio in this in this run or this volume of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the previous one where we were talking about it being a Journey to the Dark Head, that was a South Korean studio, but it was very, very much in the Japanese animation style, or, or at least as far as my ignorant eye can tell. Sure. Right. So this, there is a fun piece of trivia about this one, though. Um, Do tell. There, there is a commanding stormtrooper who arrests the brother. You're right. Like the brother goes there, and he's so exhausted and malnourished that people don't listen to him or can't understand him, and someone takes pity on him. Here's his story and helps him amplify his message. Um, but there's a commander, a stormtrooper commander in this one, who is the main like villain inside the city, or 
at the pit, I guess. He's villain at the pit controlling the resources. And he is played by Steve Blum in the English version. Oh, okay. Steve Blum is the voice of Zeb. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. I'll have to go back and uh, re-listen, but um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So like I said, you know, once I got to the pit, um, it, uh, you ever watch a show and you feel like you need to take a shower afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good description of this episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's powerful stuff. I think, uh, you know, people that know me know that I, I you know, I, I kind of tend to like Star Wars when it's, uh, you know, super serious and, and, you know, my superhero movies to be dark and moody. Um, one of the biggest reasons I, uh, I really enjoyed Andor. And I know that that wasn't uh, everybody's cup of tea. Uh, you know, people had uh, some issues with it, but um, for me, it was uh, expertly written, beautifully acted, and uh, wonderfully shot. Um, so, uh, like I said, you know, make my Star Wars dark and moody, and I'll be happy. Andor's peak Star Wars. Andor's yeah. peak Disney Star Wars. Yeah, Andor's peak drama. It's such a great show. Yeah, what did you sacrifice? <laughs> <laughs> Everything. All right. So uh, we are uh, hitting our final episode here on Star Wars Visions Series 2 and uh, Episode 9. How do you pronounce that? Ao's song? Um, I was pronouncing it Ao's song. Ao's, yeah. I, but I mean, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know how to pronounce it, actually. Like specifically, yeah, but uh, this one again, um, like you said, uh, probably intentional. It's a little uh, more hopeful than the previous story <clears throat> and uh, some of the uh, other stories that we've seen. But uh, it uh, it does kind of leave you uh, feeling a little better um, than uh, than the previous story. Um, Got to end on a high note. Yeah, absolutely. An alien child eager to sing is brought up by a loving but strict father who forces her to keep silent because of the disastrous effect her voice has on the crystals in some of the mines, um, which is interesting. I think, um, you know, getting back to uh, the themes of uh, family, We've, uh, similar to I Am Your Mother, you have, uh, you know, uh, a father uh, in this case, um, you know, uh, telling a child to, uh, uh, you know, giving the child instruction. Uh, the child wants to be free uh, and do uh, his or her own thing. Um, I think it's interesting. I think Star Wars has always had, you know, that aspect of family, whether it's, uh, you know, blood relations or found family, as uh, uh, you are well familiar with uh, with uh, the crew of Rebels and, and, and Clone Wars, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, th this one, um, this one's a little bit more uh, traditionally, uh, you know, happy, uh, a lot brighter for sure. Um, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, so this is this is the South African um, studio called Triggerfish, and uh, visually, this one is very different. Um, even so, and, and it's even more different than uh, than I am your mother, the traditional kind of uh, the, the one that you had mentioned. Uh, what is it, the grommet and 
the Wallace and Gromit one. Yes, yeah. 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 So Art Ardman's Studios from the UK did the Wallace and Gromit. I am your mother, and then Punk Robot um, from Chile did the the Into the Stars. And these were the ones that, are, in my opinion, were the most visually jarring into the stars was the fake stop motion animation i am your mother is the claymation and this one the animation they look like they're made out of socks they're, <laughs> they're like woven yeah uh, they're, they're like a woven sweater like i mean the, te- the textures are the textures are beautiful absolutely right it, it is super well animated but it is it looks like it looks like stop motion animation, but way smoother. Um, and it looks like the characters are, are knitted out of yarn. Yeah. And I love it. Like this is, there's a lot to love about this episode. And once again, I think, I think it's intentional. I think the order is intentional. I think they ended these last two with two mining stories, one with super bleak with a ambiguous ending. And this one with a, once again, like a child being told to basically suppress their special ability so they don't got, got get too much attention and then the special ability actually so, like solves the problem and improves everybody's situation in the end and so basically she she they live in a mining town and they make money by mining kyber crystals but all the kyber crystals are bleeding they're defective mm. and she sings to them and cures them um and eventually, by the end of the episode, she sings to the mountain and cures the whole mine. Uh, and that's sort of the long and short of the story. But it, it's really about realizing your power and like earning that accept or not earning your acceptance, but being accepted by your loved ones for like what you like your your abilities and your capabilities and your identity. I, I think it's it's a great great story, and it being South African. Um, I was curious if this was based on anything, and it is. It is based on the uh, Chapman's Peak Mine mm-hmm. in South Africa. So, so this is this is like some of the visuals um, and the concept art are drawings of Chapman's Peak mm-hmm. in South Africa. And so, this is South Africa is another region of the world that is not a stranger to exploitation. Sure. Um, and so, this is this is. I think another theme theme that we're dealing with here, but, but with a happy ending, I'll, I'll call it a happy ending, right? Sure. It's, it's far less ambiguous than the, than the previous one. And I think they intentionally ended this one, ended this volume on sort of a high note. And that is a pun. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. You know, it's, um, it's wonderful to see these stories entrenched in in um, in different cultures, and I think uh, you know, uh, kudos to you for doing the research as well. I didn't get my research didn't get as far, but I think uh, the ability to to be able to uh, you know watch these um, these episodes and kind of glean something um, other than just oh I like the animation style, but to be able to kind of uh, equate it to something that's happening or has happened in that studio's uh you know cultural relevance um i think uh is is eye-opening for me and um and it's something i think too that as star wars fans or as an audience of this medium really should uh should take advantage of uh, being able to 
I don't know, to dig a little deeper like you did um, and really, uh, you know, put the puzzle pieces together. I think uh, that that kind of enjoyment or that kind of research uh, might uh, surprise people that uh, are not used to it and are just used to just absorbing it uh, on a surface level. But, um, you know, as Star Wars fans, we know that uh, just beyond the surface, there's a, a little uh, a little more of a, of a story to it. So that's uh, that's amazing stuff. I love it. If we're are we wrapping up, you think? Almost, yeah. Can I ask you what your top three were from this volume? Yeah, uh, Golak for sure. Golak, yeah. Golak was like number one. Uh, Bandits of Golak, Sith, and I really have to, it's a toss up between the Pit and uh, Screechers Reach. Yeah, those are good. One, two. Excellent. Matt, thank you very much for joining me on this edition of the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast. We talked about Star Wars Visions Season 2. Why don't you tell the folks that are listening where people can find you to say hello there? We're called Yubcast. It's spelled like it sounds. Um, So you can find us on Twitter, X, Threads, um, Blue Sky, Hive, Instagram, if we're if it's called Yubcast, there's a ninety percent chance it's us. So just tell tell whoever is there that they suck, and maybe I'll respond. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you guys are everywhere. Yep, we're we're on a- Apple Podcasts and Spotify and a couple other podcast platforms. If you like Star Wars animation and you want to hear a couple guys that research too much about Star Wars podcast or a little embarrassed to have a Star Star Wars podcast, uh, come listen to us. Excellent. Nothing embarrassing about it. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Matt, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. If you wanted to, uh, you know, grab another topic and uh, we can uh, deep dive on some more uh, Star Wars animation talk. Um, Maybe we can do an episode on, uh, on Star Wars Resistance. That's a that's an animated show that nobody watched, huh? This came in the mail today. <laughs> oh, very nice. I'm, I got the Star Wars Resistance season one uh, Blu-ray. <laughs> see, I'm I'm timely. My comments, my my jokes are timely. <laughs> Excellent. If uh, if you guys have your own uh, list of Star Wars visions, uh, your favorites, uh, why don't you tell us about it? Give us a call on the Scare of Scuttlebutt hotline at 773-234-8659 or shoot me an email and tell me about your favorite visions, episodes, and why at scareofscuttlebutt at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Ro from the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast, part of the Red 5 Network. Give us a try over at bio.link slash red5. You'll find uh, the rest of the Red 5 family. Until next time, that's the Scuttlebutt.